Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. Not much music this time around because I spoke with a sound designer and his name is Julian Kwasniewski. He started Bay Area Sound in the year 2000 after leaving LucasArts. Julian is the kind of guy who ended up modding Minecraft so that he and his friends and family could play Minecraft with high quality ambiences and sound effects while being in their own realm. That's the kind of guy Julian is. Uh, As far as Bay Area sound, they've done sound and or music on nearly every Telltale game, from The Walking Dead to The Wolf Among Us to the Minecraft story mode, Tales from the Borderlands. They've worked on several Star Wars games too and dozens upon dozens of other projects. Throughout our chat, you'll hear sounds that Julian made for Star Wars games, ambiences for Firewatch, and some field recordings he did at his brother-in-law's winery. Bay Area Sound is a company that I co-founded with um, a former LucasArts colleague, Clint Bajakian, um, when, you know, we basically left LucasArts. We had actually planned to start something while we were there, and that was the dot-com days, and mm-hmm. I, got a, I got one of those dot-com-ish offers that was too good to be true, but it was true, and, and so I kind of abandoned the plan. And then after, you know, about three months of driving down to Sunnyvale, I realized I made a terrible mistake and um, Mm. really missed game audio. So um, he and I founded Bay Area Sound. And and then around 2000, that was about 2000, 2000 basically, but it was official. The corporate, you know, date is 2001. And then we, um, he actually left for Sony in 2003. So... Okay. I kind of sailed alone with Jared Emerson Johnson, who is our composer. And then since then, you know, we've kind of gone through some structural changes. But um, now it's Marcus, Connor, and I, and um, you met them at PAX. Well, we and, didn't. Um, we didn't, though. Oh, you didn't? No. Oh, you didn't meet? No. Oh, so it was just in a whole virtual, it was a virtual uh, yeah. bar crawl. Well, Well, they were out at a bar and we were out at a different place and then it just we just never connected like oh i see yeah we you know we've been i started at lucas arts in 94 and um worked in the actually back then the voice and sound departments were separate so i actually started in the voice department um and i was working on the dig or TIE Fighter CD-ROM actually was the first actual thing I touched. But um, <laughs> but it was, you know, it's definitely the Wild West Dark Ages. Um, we still have the same problems, honestly, today, but we just have a lot more um, sleek ways of solving them. But, um, but then I moved into the sound department and I got to work with Peter McConnell and Michael Land, um, Clint Bajakian, obviously, mm-hmm. and... Um, Larry the O was there at the time, and Dave Levison, Jeff Clement. This was before the expansion, which brought in Mark Grisky and a couple other great guys too. But um, so game audio was really—I had kind of started in recording studios, but game audio was just something that it just kind of chose me. I don't—I mean, I was always into games and. Um, just didn't know you could do this for a living. So um, it was, for Lucas, it was just a magical time, honestly. And um, I've talked to other people over the years now that were 
getting into the industry at the time, but just at other companies. And it's amazing how similar our experiences were, just dealing with the, you know, CD-ROM coming online, and now we have disk space, and then the PlayStation came out, and it was uh, it was great. But so when we started the company, we really focused on game audio specifically. Um, but over the years, we've diversified into a lot of different areas. But the core is still sound and music and voiceover production implementation, um, and we just. We try to do as much of it as possible because it's all so related. Yeah, so here we are, you know, um, 18 years later, and it's we're still, mm-hmm. still chugging. So. Currently, um, we're working on a couple of things that are NDA, sadly. Mm-hmm. One thing we did do that is worth mentioning is... Um, we did a project for Google recently that is a machine learning app that they're working on. Okay. It uses machine learning to learn what things look like. So we did a bunch of user interface like UX design sounds. Um, but it's a crazy game where it, it gives you, you have kind of have a timer and um, it'll say, you know, find a, a, a pen, find a watch, and you have to run around and find these different things. And... Um, as you point the phone's camera at these items, um, whether they're right or wrong, it starts to learn. So it was cool because, you know, there's kind of an infinite amount of objects in the world. But um, yeah. uh, so that's been really fun. Um, and we're obviously, you know, we're still involved with Telltale and we've been working on uh, music for the the next season of Walking Dead. So Jared's been fairly busy with that and it's kind of the season that's going to close out all of those episodes. So oh, wow. um, we did all the sound for Telltale um, until until about Jurassic Park. I stopped doing sound, and it was just focused on voice. But up until about that point, we did everything. And then it just got to be too big um, of a beast. And mm-hmm. so then we did sound. I'm sorry, we did music and voice. Um, forever and really just um, only recently kind of stepped out of the voice part of it but the sound the music part is still Jared Um, but it's funny because you know you you get to know these voice actors really well and um, and you know they die and (laughs) yeah they die in the game fortunately we they live on in the real world but um, so uh, yeah just bringing something like that to a close is something that is um it's always, you know, a little, it's a little uh, melancholic. But So when you talk about doing voice, you're talking about the voice actors come in and record with you or they send you their audio and you implement? What, what does that piece mean? Yeah, so, well, it, uh, it's really everything from casting the people. Oh, you and- cast them even. Yeah, and with Telltale, it's, you know, they were very collaborative um, Prod, you know, we we just literally, we were like probably the fifth and sixth employees there. We weren't employees, but um, people never knew that. Mm-hmm. 
I knew the founders, uh, Dan Connors and Kevin Bruner, really well. And when they started the company, they just kind of came to me and said, you know, we're screwed without sound. We've got to figure this out. <laughs> and um, so we just, you know, they built a tool and we would, you know, we collaborated about how, how assets are handled and mixed and what is the middleware. And, um, and then they exploded, um, you know, and we kind of mm-hmm. just rode that with them. But... Um, but yeah, we'll cast and then we'll, you know, there's all the scheduling that goes with that, which is kind of just grunt work. But um, you do have to uh, plan for, you know, especially in, in interactive games where they're really narrative driven and conversation based, you need to, um, there's certain people that have to record first. And sometimes you'll do an ensemble where you have a couple people, but um, but it gets tricky you know, kind of orchestrating that. Yeah. And then we direct the sessions and, and then all the post and all the stuff that happens afterwards that nobody sees, but, yeah. um, and then, you know, ultimately getting it into the game. So you said something earlier about how, you know, you have the same problems now, but different tools to solve them. Can you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely, yeah. So a friend of mine, Chuck Jordan, who was a programmer back in the Lucas days. Um, it's funny that he he was the programmer on Curse of Monkey Island, and um, mm-hmm. he we didn't have WIs or FMOD or anything. And so and we that, those are middleware s- programs that implement the, audio into games, right? Exactly. Yep. And it's kind of like the way to look at it is that, um, you know, the programmer... Well, in the old days, you'd go in and you'd say, okay, um, when... When, you know, Guybrush opens the scary box, play this sound and then play this sound a second later. And it was very manual. And Clint and I actually, we nicknamed those, um, we called them feed up sessions because we'd literally go into his office and put our feet up and have a clipboard. And But what has happened now is you still have that event called, you know, Guybrush opens scary box. But what apps like uh, Wise lets us do is that hook gets transferred to us and then what happens then is completely uh, in our control on the sound side. So we can we can layer sounds and pitch them and randomize them and um, and it just gives you unbelievable control. But it also, more importantly, I think, um, keeps you out of the programmer's hair <laughs> because... Um, one thing that you notice if uh, in this business, if you have a business card that says audio programmer, one of the first things that happens in your career path is they scratch off the word audio because <laughs> it's just, you know, programming is such a, an important part of it, obviously. And um, to have someone who's focused on audio is pretty rare. So uh, it lets us all be audio programmers in a way. Hmm. Um, and, and that was so, you know, back then you just had limited you didn't have as many streams, but um, you still had the same problem. You needed to, you know, you needed to have different ambient beds playing while there was different music playing, and that music needed to crossfade into, you know, from level to level and from state to state. And it's just, you know, I, I don't feel like there are, I guess the only introduction would have been surround sound and, you know, 3D audio. Um, that's something that just wasn't 
it wasn't possible back then with the exception of like uh, PL2 encoding. We would just do Dolby streams and that would, you know, if the person had the, the gear, they would hear, surround. they would hear some of that. So yeah, well, they'd hear like a version of surround. Yeah, kind of like a cheater version. Exactly. It's yeah. like, whoa, it's coming from behind me. But um, but now <laughs> it's really, um, it's crazy now. It's, it, we know, but but you still treat all that, you treat all that the same way. Yeah, so with VR sound and now suddenly having up and down be a factor, right? Yep. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, the you know the the up and down thing. It's funny because now uh, we we are doing. I'm we're finding a lot more people are, you know, now it's becoming more and more of a thing. Uh, mostly because we have the tools and plugins like um, Ambisonics that lets you encode that material. Um, but it was unheard of a few years ago, and it's something that's called for more and more. So recently, we did some work for a startup that is using VR as a training tool for various types of industries. And um, okay. and so it's basically the full-on headset, but they're just trying to recreate experience. You know, one of them was a hotel chain, and they wanted to experiment with training, um, training hotel concierges to, you know, how to deal with problematic people. And, mm-hmm. um, and it was really cool, but the... Um, but the actual use of that level of audio, honestly, it wasn't really that um, powerful. Yeah. But we had, um, we did do, we did Hologrid. Um, it was an AR game that, um, you know, just like on the Millennium Falcon, you know, when you play the, the chess game, you, you yeah. would play that and you could lay the board out wherever you want. So your kitchen table or the floor. And, um, and so, um, we really that was really cool because you you actually don't know where the person's going to be placing there's like a distance element to mm. sound and how far away is it from you and um you know that was something where um using 3D audio was it was tricky because with a with a s- traditional level you actually have a very specific distance from a a sound source um, but in this case, since it's AR, it, it kind of poses a new problem. Like, you know, how far is it for real? Yeah. Um, and there's ways to kind of fake that. So I imagine, yeah, that your studio is full of all kinds of fancy mics, microphones and equipment and hardware and all of that good stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a big toy chest. Yeah, and I'm pretty sort of clueless surprisingly because I'm in you know I work in radio and I should know a lot more than I do about audio but but uh well actually you know the thing about radio that it's interesting you brought that up because we did we did a um a pretty long-term project for a company that sadly um went away but at least for now but it was a company called Detour in the city in San Francisco and they made GPS-enabled walking tours. Oh, fun! And when you hear like when you hear audio tour, you just think like, "What? Oh, okay." Because um, every audio tour you've ever taken probably sucked, and and I <laughs> took a lot of them. And um, oh my god, I was in Spain, and they were just so bad. The Sagrada Familia, it was just like, <laughs> I, they're just and and it's sad because it's such. 
you know, I think it's an industry that could really learn learn from the game industry. Yeah. Um, but I bring it up because radio, and so I worked with a lot of radio producers and folks that came out of NPR and um, – but what what they were was you know forty five minute to an hour long walk, but it tracked where you were, and so your phone has GPS, and mm-hmm. you're walking through you know Fisherman's Wharf, and the audio was getting dynamically mixed and gen- generated just like if you were setting it up to walk through a game level, um, but your position was being dictated by GPS, and um, so you know the um, it was super cool. It was like the greatest idea. It was real, like real life, a real life game experience. Um, but but working with radio people, it's great because they, um, you know, I think there's a there's a naturalness to radio interviews and people who go out and do reporting and and the tricks of the trade for getting decent enough recordings out in the field with your recording kit, you know, and using your shotgun mic and, um, you know, they're all using Marantz recorders and, um, so it was really, it was actually really cool. And it actually led to, we've been working recently with Wondery, a company in LA that is doing, um, podcasts and, um, we do the, the audio for uh, two of them now. One is called Business Wars and one is called um, American Innovation. And they're both, um, they're, you know, five to six episodes, really, really cool storytelling and a lot of sound and music. And um, um, and it's kind of, you know, they're, they're like immersive stories. Um, so it was kind of a, you know, and again, uh, working with a lot of radio people. So... Um, I have a lot of respect for uh, you, for you folks. Look across the street and find the Hate and Ashbury Street signs. They became iconic, and they were stolen so often the city stopped replacing them until they came up with a new solution. What are some of your favorite tools that you use to? I mean, because you create sounds too. Like you don't yeah. you invent <laughs> sounds for games and things? Yeah. Yeah, I you know it's funny. Um, I you know I'm I'm just like looking around the room here, and I've got all these old synthesizers, and I think they work. But you know <laughs> the problem is that there's so much um, there's so many plugins now that um, mimic these things, and so many sound manipulating plugins too. Um, obviously, I'm a Pro Tools user, and um, I say obviously, believe it or not, there's people out there that don't use Pro Tools, and I, I really um, envy. You know, I, I, I mean, I admire them because I could, if if Pro Tools ever went away, I'd start to panic. But um, <laughs> but it's really plugins, and it's um, it, but it's not so much. I mean, there are some new, um, there's some new like manipulative. Um, Th- plugins where you can do uh, granular synthesis, and you can do you can you can take the um, like you can take a creature sound, or you can take actually someone saying a sentence, and then take a leopard growling, and you can use the characteristics of the leopard growl, and it puts it over the speech, and and you have to tweak it a lot, but um, it's called Envy, um, and it's uh, it's something that I'm that. I'm just starting to 
spend some late nights with because it's uh, it's very cool. <laughs> and um, what else? You know, I think one thing about sound for me is that we do a lot of work where um, I feel like there are times where you're trying to recreate reality, and a lot of yes. times that reality is something that is, um, you know, if you're on some strange planet that has volcanoes going off all the time, um, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't exist in the real world. So you have to, you've got to kind of envision what that's going to sound like. Sure. Um, But um, I found that when you're doing things that have some kind of real world element to them we have a gigantic sound library and we record tons of things ourselves um and i just find that there's no better way to get that to get something than to actually record it and um you know obviously explosions and guns and things uh we did do some uh machine gun recording for one of the early socoms which was super fun i got to shoot an ak-74 which you know, it was crazy. Yeah. But uh and it was in California in the East Bay and like a dude showed up in a in an old Lincoln and <laughs> opens up his trunk and there's a bunch of machine guns and I was like, God dang, this is crazy. But things like, you know, um if if someone has to go run up the stairs in a in a scene, we just record it because it's really the it's kinda hard to trick the human ear, uh, especially with vocalizations. You really need to you really need to work with them to get them to sound believable. So I do a lot of recording and then just a lot of tweaking and, you know, manipulation of that recording. And, you know, some of the plugins aren't that sexy. It's just, you know, using an EQ or like using, there's a company called Isotope that makes a a pretty expensive plugin suite that um, I finally just had to get it. And, um, I've had it for a couple of years now, and it's just you use it. You use tools that are meant to do something else to make something sound just different, or the way you're, you know, the way you want it to sound. So, and and that's I'll tell you that is like, um, you know, even on you know I've done so much, so many Star Wars games that um, it's crazy because for uh, for Old Republic with Bioware, um, there was a recent expansion pack it was last year or the year before, and they needed um, lightsabers, new ones. So you know, if you don't, if it, so, it was. It had to sound, you know, like a lightsaber, but it had to sound new. Yep. And um, we just ended up recording tons of different steady states of different synthesizers and electric noise and motors and um, anything, and then we would mix them in with real lightsabers. Quote unquote real um, lightsaber. Well, real. <laughs> yeah, quote unquote real. I have one here. Um, and, you know, we, we, and what we ended up doing, actually going back to that WYS point, is we were able to mix a lot of those layers in real time so that it gave, so there's kind of a replayability and also in, there's kind of a not infinite, but there's definitely a exponentially variable set of, of, uh, lightsabers that you could make and so you know you can you can turn those levels up and down and it was it was super fun I, I was actually recently um in europe and i 
I was out here at 5 in the morning today working on UI sounds for um, this. Oh, this is a project called Icons. It's this combat game we're working on. Just, it's a really cool, like they have a very integrated UI experience and the sounds have to go together and they get, and you never know how someone's going to click around a screen. So um, it's kind of a performance, you know, and so you put sounds in, you try it and you try to spam it and see if you can make it sound bad. Um, but I found that, boy, that five to seven this morning, it was the sweet spot. Really? And um, yeah, and then, and then it just evaporated. So I stopped. <laughs> so when you do sounds, you try to, you, when you said you spam it, is that just trying to see if it gets annoying? Well, definitely that. And, and boy, you can definitely not ask um, uh, too many people, you know, you always want to say, I, at LucasArts, I used to go to the testers and just say, hey, what do you think of, um, what do you think of the weapons, you know? Or, and I would just say is I have very thick skin, so what are the... You know, are any of them standing out as annoying? Are they bothering you? Um, but um, when I say spamming, though, I just mean, you know, when people go into a UI screen, they don't meticulously click through all the outfits and weapons. They're usually cruising through it and right. um, skipping things and, and switching screens really fast. And um, so you need to accommodate those people and the people who sit there and, you know, take their time. right. UI is one of those things. It's like doing ambient sound design. It's um, it's a very specific thing, just like weapons would be a very specific thing. Um, footsteps. I, I I don't really. I've recorded so many footsteps that I feel like <laughs> I may have recorded enough to last me a lifetime. But um, but I never get tired of of ambient backgrounds and just designing. You know, you can design those to be really living with um, some of the you know some of the middleware we use you can kind of they're not just a, a static loop yeah um, they actually have elements that come and go and in fact for firewatch we did um, we did all that ambient sound and you know it was first of all it was wyoming so we wanted to be true we didn't want you know a loon in wyoming <laughs> so we talked to some ornithologists that um had recordings of birds from where the game is set, nice. and we recorded grasses, and we recorded, um, you know, we had the birds, and we recorded crickets, and uh, and those guys were great in creating, you know, the, the system was very dynamic, and it was all on different levels, so that, hey, it's starting to get windy now, and... Um, you might be close to a tree and there's like a one in 15 chance that there might be a bird in that tree. And then there's one of 10 birds it's going to be. And it's just constantly rolling the dice and choosing these sounds. If you've played it, you walk around that game and if you just stop and listen, it's, I still, it just never gets old. <laughs> And so, you know, time of day is also um, something and letting the crickets will kind of, you know, they start to swell as the uh, sun goes down. And so that's that's always been, I mean, that, that's just one of those things I've always really enjoyed when I get to do that. It, it must be 
challenging to find a balance of what's enough and what's what's too much that you're putting in the background. Because, I mean, if I think about it, even just sitting in this room, I'm not in a soundproofed environment by any stretch. Uh-huh. So I can hear, you know, the the trucks across the street that are building the new house. Yeah. I can hear, you know, not right now, but planes go by every once in a while. Um, you know, stuff like that. But uh, there's constant noise yeah. in our world, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So how do you decide what what to add and what to leave out? You know, something that could be perfectly reasonable to hear in an environment, but you just decide, okay, that's just too much. Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, um, we did a game called um, Saboteur uh, a few years back, and it was set in France, and it's war t- World War One, and, you know, the ambiences were... You know, how would, what would you, I think it's not so much as what would you hear, but what do you, what do you need to hear to feel like you're in the place that you're looking at? There's just like, and, and birds, you know, birds are something that if you pay attention, even in the deepest of urban environments, there's birds there and Mm -hmm. removing them does something to the feel of that urban uh, landscape, you know? And another thing you can do too is, you know, if you go to like Yerba Buena Plaza in the city uh, in San Francisco, there's, um, you know, it's a big park and it's just surrounded by city and it's yeah. super loud and all you hear is cars and, and the hum of, of mankind, you know, and you, um, but if it's in a, if it's in a game and you, you, um, a place like that, you, you score it to sound like m- more of a, um, rural setting with birds and and it you know you can really change the feel of a, of um of a location and also even a boring you know if you're playing if it's like a point and click adventure and you're you're in just a boring office building or an office room things like you mentioned the truck you know you have a truck that is really low pass so you just um you just hear this rumble kind of um and and you have to really beware of ha- the frequency at which those types of elements play because, you know, sitting in your studio listening to a, a soundscape, um, every couple minutes hearing that truck may seem like an eternity. But when you're playing a game and trying to solve something, uh, something coming around every two minutes is incredibly frequent. And huh. um yeah, I think you just kind of get a feel for that, honestly, um, over time, because um, that's just something that, you know, and, and you know, it comes down to play testing, and you've got to play, you have to play the games that you're working on. And, and again, you know, if you can solicit, everyone's got play testers, um, no matter how big the developer is, the play tester may be the CEO, but um, <laughs> you want to get, you want to get those, that feedback, because, um you know, I remember Mike Land, I, I, I don't even remember the game, and I did something cool that was just this really subtle thing on a, um, I think it was, it was either Outlaws or Monkey Island, but, um, and he kind of giggled in his way, and he's like, well, that'll make 12 people really happy, and, um, <laughs> and it was so true, you know. <laughs> So you go out and do a lot of field recording. 
A lot, yeah. Everywhere yeah. we go, I, I always have, I've got something with me to record. Do you? Um, and honestly, it's usually ambient recordings because um, I just, I really, really like that part of it. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I did forget what game it was for. It might have actually been for Saboteur. Um, but I went to my brother-in-law's winery and he's got a ton of, uh, tractors and cats and big trucks and uh, machinery and I just I spent a day with him and um, he was super you know super into it and we I built these crazy booms to record the the caterpillar tracks um, from a variety of different vantages um, really close to the dirt really close to the axle and I use those I use them constantly so yeah, when you get an opportunity to record cool things, uh, you got to take it. You said, you know, you got to play the games that you're working on, so... Independent of that, though, since you're obviously a gamer, what are some of your favorite games? Like, what are you? I know. I was so afraid for this oh, question no. to come up because, yeah, it's like <laughs> shit. Okay, well, yeah, I I have to be honest with you. Um, in the last year or so, I have a 16 year old son. <laughs> I have other kids too, but my 16 year old is the gamer, and I really, uh, it's been great. He's, he built his own PC. He's been into games for a while. Um, he actually does a lot of dialogue editing for us. And, um, oh, cool. He's an aspiring filmmaker and all that. But he, um, I, I just play games with him. So, I, you know, obviously, like, Far Cry 5 is unbelievable. Um, uh, he's been playing, a, he was playing a ton of PUBG, but now he's playing Fortnite, so <laughs> I got sucked into that. And my, my daughter uh, is playing it on the, on the um, iPhone, which is crazy. Wow. Um, but, like, we play, uh, you know, we're playing Civil, Civilization VI. Um, nice. We're all big mind, we're all crafters. My, um, sure. A bunch of us in the company and my nephews... Um, we have a, a realm server that um, we've got a world that's so big that it it's really unwieldy. It's several <laughs> several gigs, and um, <laughs> it's amazing though because you know as a human being you know spaces and you like if you're good with direction, you're like ah, I've been here before, and that totally trans translates to Minecraft and um, yes. And it's a game that we binged on really really hard, and you get really sick of it, and then yep. One day you're just bored and you might be on a conference call and you're like, ah, I'm just going <laughs> to keep working on that thing I'm working on. And um, But uh, we were just recently talking about whether we should ditch the world and start, start new. And um, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that because, you know, <laughs> there are lots of things in that game. And, and when, you, when you stumble upon something you made four or five years ago, it's, it's just crazy. It's... Um, yep. Going back to that VR thing, you know, that's where I think there's such a powerful thing about virtual spaces. And, um, yes. and even though it's all pixelated and blocky, um, it's a living place. And it's funny, we did, we did a bunch of mods and made ambient sounds for 
um, the version we play, so you hear really good, high-quality ambience. Um, but every time they push a new version, it screws it up, and it takes a decent amount of effort to change. So <laughs> I think we're we're too busy working. But um, but we did work on the Minecraft story mode with uh, Telltale, which was really fun. Oh, fun, um, yeah. Yeah, and that was uh, and and that actually we did do sound for that as well, and um, all the voice and um, it was uh, yeah, it was a very I, I was skeptical when they first started doing it, but they really were attentive to the whole you know IP and the lore and just it was fun. Nice, I have to say, yeah. But so yeah, I mean, there's you know those are some of the games, and on my phone, you know, there's there's games I play and. But um, it's funny, I was, uh, whenever I, I always kind of look at what game people are playing when I see them on their phone just sitting at a, somewhere. And yeah. I'm amazed at how many people are still playing Solitaire. That I game know. is, <laughs> that is a popular game. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> My wife plays it, so, you know, if you can get her to play something. Uh, and what else? She also plays uh, Panda Pop. Yeah. And it's one of those games where, you know, you either are dedicated to never spend any money in game yep and just fight your way through it for years and i started seeing these charges showing up and i'm like <laughs> what the hell and um we busted her that's awesome her. <laughs> yeah she's like yeah Micro i paid for it it's five bucks do you want it i'll give you five bucks <laughs> it was really funny <laughs> yeah i've gone down that rabbit hole a couple of times with a couple games and luckily climbed my climbed my way out and uh now I'm pretty good about not not doing that, but oh, it can it, it's a slippery slope. The microtransactions are, slope, yeah, and, yeah. That's what they're designed to be is a slippery slope. So, well, which is now kind of uh, the slippery slope for me is um, Netflix shows. That oh. is where um, I just fall. Like I started watching Black Mirror, and it's like I just didn't want to sleep for. Until I got through them all, you know. Did you just and, recently um, start watching Black Mirror? I just recently got into it. Wow. Yeah, which is I know it's crazy, but no, I was, I'm I was binging other shows too. So, oh yeah. Um, you know, there's a couple Netflix shows, um, Puss in Boots. Yeah. And I forget the name of the other one, but they're doing interactive content now, and oh wow, that's definitely something to keep an eye on because. Um, it's basically choose your own adventure type br- uh, branching, and wow. um, you know, Puss in Boots is like it's an animated piece, and it's um, and it's a little laggy when you make your decisions, but you can totally just imagine if you could play, if you could control uh, an episode of Shameless, you know, it'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's really uh, and incredible. And I do see, I see everything kind of coming together, honestly, and that's why um, this whole convergence thing b- with film is still kind of the the holy grail, even though um, yeah. the game industry is so large. But I really, you know, we do a lot of, like, classic film and linear things. But um, it's all so related now, and the tools are so powerful that it kind of lets us, you know, even on a mobile game, we try to, just because it's on mobile doesn't mean, people may mute it, but yeah. it doesn't mean that the sound needs to suffer because it's it's mobile. Um so it's. Ex- I, I think the next the next few years are going to be really exciting um, in in this whole gaming world. Cool. Well, Julian, it was a pleasure to get to speak with you. Yeah, Finally, absolutely. We've wanted to get you guys on for a long time now. So no, thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to Level 96 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Julian Kwasniewski at basound.com and at patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Dental. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Incorporated. <laughs>